6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 37 through 41. As I was dumb with my silence, I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. My heart was hot within me while I was musing, the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue. So the next session is he's, he's despondent. He now he is, has a burdened heart, the next few verses. He speaks out, but to whom? Not to his enemies, not to the public. He finally unloads his heart to the Lord. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth. Four fingers wide. Four fingers wide. It's not a span. It's a handbreadth. Four fingers, you know. Thou hast made my days as a handbreadth. Mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. And then we have that curious pause, Selah. Some people regard it as a musical annotation. There are other scholars that believe that's a pause to stop and integrate what you've, what's been said so far. It's a, it's a stop, look, listen kind of flag. And uh, now vanity, of course, is emptiness. Um, the, the, the very, the, what he's really saying here, in effect, is the very brevity of life should tell us something. Life is so brief. It goes by so fast. That should tell us something. It's very temporary. It's very quick. Especially when you recognize we have an eternal destiny. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. Get rich to whom? Pass on to your kids or to other people who don't deserve it, whatever. I mean, it's this whole idea of that. Here you could just insert the book of Ecclesiastes. David's son puts this in a book called Ecclesiastes. It's not a pessimistic book. Many people don't understand it. There's nothing new under the sun. It has to do with the vainness of what's under the sun, not about life in general. It takes, it takes it's a, really an admonition to take the long view. And uh, really, this whole thing, this whole passage in here asks, what, what's really life all about? You can't help, when, if you've, uh, from here, uh, Shakespeare took this and really elaborated in Hamlet, in, in part of his soliloquy in Hamlet. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps, this, creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all of our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. Is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. And he goes on. Shakespeare is incredible, but obviously very, very imbued in the Psalms. It's amazing how much of Shakespeare is lifted from the Psalms, by the way. 
And of course, the third stage was having been silent, having unburdened his heart before the Lord, he's now confident. He has a believing heart. Start with a burning, a burden, and then a believing heart. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in Thee. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. This is the central verse of this psalm. A turning point in David's experience. What do I wait for? I, my hope is in thee. Not in horses or kings or riches or whatever. No, in thee. And he admits his guilt before God. You and I need to remember the Christian's bar of soap. 1 John 1, 9. If, we're, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. And just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's his faithfulness we rely on, not ours. Okay, and that gives us the final fourth stage where he is repentant. And he, has, he, went, he went from a burning heart to an un, unburdened heart to a believing heart to a broken heart. David says, I was dumb. I opened not my mouth because thou didst it. Remove thy stroke away from me. Or, or blow, if you will, from me. I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. Conflict, if you will. When thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. Surely every man is vanity. There it is again. And Selah, to tie it together. You know, C.S. Lewis commented in a very quotable way. I had to include this. C.S. Lewis, in dealing with a, in this, a piece called The Problem of Pain, says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. Interesting. So we have pain. That's God trying to get our attention. Jim Elliot is I finally tracked down. You've heard this a lot. I wondered where it came from. Jim Elliot is, is to whom this attributed. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. How interesting. How eloquent. How to the point. And then we continue here. David says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears. For I'm a stranger with thee and a sojourner as all my fathers were. O spare me that I may recover strength before I go hence and be no more. When he says be no more, he doesn't mean end forever. He's speaking about his earthly pilgrimage. How do I know that? Because you remember Psalm 23, verse 6? He, his destiny was to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So he recognizes an earthly pilgrimage. It's not over then. Okay. Now we get, to the, get more to the dessert here. Psalm 40, 40 and 41, the next two psalms that we're going to take complete the first of the five books of psalms. We're about to finish book number one. These are the last two psalms in book one, sometimes called the Genesis section or collection of psalms. And uh, both 40 and 41 are quoted in the New Testament, which makes them messianic. So as we read the Psalms, they're going to have a local practical application as far as David's concerned, fine. But we're going to 
by the Holy Spirit discern that underneath the text is lurking messianic allusions, and we want to be sensitive to that. Let's, we're, in terms of David's life, um, we're going to take a, we'll outline it from that point of view. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to discover quotes, verses 6 through 8, and we'll deal with that when we get there. So it's clearly a messianic psalm, but before we get into that, let's just look at it from the point of view, from David's point of view, if you will, his own life experiences. Obviously, he has experienced dangerous exile years, and in response to that, he praises God for all he has done, all that God has done for him. We also see allusions to, which are consistent with the dedication as a new king. And, and, and he's anxious to give God all that he asks in the next uh, uh, few verses. And then there's prayer for personal forgiveness and victory following coronation. And uh, to trust God for all that remains. He wants to praise God for all that he's done, past tense. He wants to give God of all that he asks, present tense. And he wants to trust God for all that is coming. That's from David's point of view, apparently, the structure of this hymn that he wrote, the song that he wrote. And he may not have been aware of how the Holy Spirit was inserting some background here that will be meaningful to all of us. Okay, Psalm 40, verse 1, to the chief musician again, Psalm of David. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. And I waited. It's actually in waiting I waited, is the, what the Hebrew really says. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put in a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. And so the second verse there is probably just a summary of his years in exile, those 10 years that he fled from Saul and went through all those crises that we talked about already. Then he continues, Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. And by the word lies, we include idols. Turn aside to idols. It's really astonishing to look around us in our culture and realize how much of our traditions are lies, how much of what people uh, are shaped by are untrue. I won't start on that. It's a whole subject in its own right, but you get the idea. David continues, Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Wow. God's thoughts directed at us are more than can be numbered. God loves you more than is possible to articulate. We have no grasp of that. I think we're, we're going to spend an eternity discovering just how much he loves us, just what it cost him to give us that access. Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, indeed. Those wonderful works are enough to hold everyone without excuse. Romans 1 hammers that point. 
And thy thoughts, which are us, to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. That's David's version of Paul's Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good and so forth, you know. Okay, so we have the exile. You okay now? The next few verses seem to be appropriate to a new king who's taken over. That's to give God all that he asks. David continues, oh, this is a dandy little verse. This starts a three-verse triplet that we want to talk about. We're starting at verse 6, Psalm 40, verse 6. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened, my burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. We're going to discover that we have a sacrificial death alluded to here in verse 6. We're going to have the birth of Christ hinted at in verse 7 and his sinful life alluded to in verse 8. And Psalm 40 verses 6, 7, and 8 are quoted in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 from five, verses 5 to 9. And that's why we realize that the, book, the writer to Hebrews has highlighted the fact that this goes beyond David and his situation, that there is a messianic overtone to all of this. It's interesting that the Holy Spirit makes a smite, uh, uh, subtle editorial change in the way that the writer to Hebrews quotes this verse, these verses in the book of Hebrews. Because here it says, Sacrifice offering thou dost not desire, mine ears hast thou not opened. What that really means is digged, digged open. What the allusion is, is from Exodus when a, 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 a slave had finished his uh, uh, time where he didn't have to be a slave anymore, he would be free. He had the choice, if he chose, to stay with his master for the rest of his life. That's what we call a bond slave. He'd, done, he'd served his six years or whatever it was, but he was free to go now. No, he could, if he wanted to, if he chose to, stay with his master for the rest of his life. And if that was his choice... They signified it by his going to the doorpost and piercing his ear to the doorpost with an awl, you know, like an ice pick. And uh, then he would wear a ring in that ear, and that would be a symbol of pride because he was a bond slave. He was there because he chose to be. You follow me? And that's what Paul uses that term, doulos, a bond slave. He used that in the book of Revelation a great deal, where bond slaves are Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me because we live in a town that's named after that in a little different, in a backhanded way. Coeur d'Alene is a French term that the French-Canadian trappers used to give the Indians they were trading with a compliment, meaning they were sharp traders. So they called them the Coeur d'Alene's, the Coeur d'Alene, heart of the all. They meant it in a derogatory, in a way. But to anyone that's biblical, that, the term all only appears twice in the Scripture. It has to do with the digging of the ear, the, the piercing of the ear, in signifying a bond slave. And uh, it's interesting that that aspect is not quoted by the writer to Hebrews in quoting this because he's applying it to Christ, okay? And Christ didn't have his ears nailed. He had his wrists and feet nailed. He, too, was nailed on our behalf, if you will. And uh, so he was nailed to the cross on our behalf. 
So mine ears hast thou opened. It really means digged or pierced through. And that's an allusion from Exodus 21.6. A body hast thou prepared for me is the way it's quoted in Hebrews 10.5. So the body is prepared, but it's, it's, it's done up. It's generically done because it's the whole body that was pierced, implying this to Christ. A subtlety, but it's a fascinating to see how the Holy Spirit works here. A sac- we heard a sacrifice is mentioned here. Any animal whose blood was sh- offered at an altar was a sacrifice, and it was followed by a communal meal, typically. An offering is a meal offering that could be accompany sacrifices, is the term that's being used. And a sin offering is given to cover specific offenses and bring reconciliation between the offender and God. All three terms are used in these verses. All three terms apply to Jesus Christ. His blood was offered at an altar, and uh, we had the Last Supper, and we had, and he was a sin offering. All of these were filled in Christ. Your Old Testament references in the Torah is the first seven verses, uh, seven chapters of the book of Leviticus. And, of course, Hebrews 10, the first 17 verses. So these three verses are very, very key verses. They're messianic. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou. My body was prepared. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required in David's case. Then said I, lo, I come. And, by the way, the grammar there implies pre-existence. Pre-existence. Lo, I come. I've been somewhere. I now appear. For, for, then said I, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me wow in, in, in Hebrews chapter 10 it's quoted of Christ in John chapter 5 verse 39 Jesus said ye search the scriptures in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me one of your great discoveries as you study your Bible is the discovery you've got to make for yourself that Jesus Christ is on every page. You can't find anything in the Bible that doesn't, isn't directly linked in some way to, to the, the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the King. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. And, uh, but this law I come, this preexistence is interesting. And incidentally, remember the first task that Jesus does after his resurrection is to have a seven-mile Bible study on the way to Emmaus in which he's in the Psalms and in the Old Testament he presents Christ and he does it in the third person Christ that guy these two guys don't know who he is well didn't you know that that guy Christ so he speaks of himself in third, fascinating third person you don't think Christ has a sense of humor I think that's dynamite why are you guys so sad where were you fella don't you know what happened in the last few days and he has the audacity to look him in the eye and say, what things? He's been arrested, six trials, tortured beyond human, crucified, dead, buried. What things, guys? Do you notice anything? <laughs> I love that. Luke 24, you've got to read it again sometime. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. So that's his role as king. 
Then he finishes the prayer for personal forgiveness and victory following the coordination in, in, in David's life thing. Trust God for all that remains, everything that hasn't been dealt with so far. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. My iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore, my heart faileth me. <laughs> yeah, I thought all our hair, if, if all the hairs on our head are numbered, which we learn from Matthew chapter 10, verse 30, then if they're numbered, God must know them all. And if he knows them all, he's in charge. Why am I sweating it, you know? God knows all our problems. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Uh, I have to pause here. There was a time, I won't go and give you all the background, it's not that important. There was a time in my life, probably the darkest time of my life, where I was really terrified. I mean, it was really dark. I was really frightened. Really, really frightened. And I remember I called Chuck Smith on the phone. And I said, Chuck, you know it was an urgent call, so he took the call, and, and I said, uh, Chuck, what do I do when I'm really terrified? What do I do? He gave me a very simple answer. Focus on the love of God. Just focus, whatever way you can, focus on the love of God. I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten that. And uh, you don't look to yourself. You don't look to others. Look to him. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord. Make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded all together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, aha, aha. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. So verse 16 is really a royal prayer for God's blessing on the whole nation. You can hear it coming from the lips of the king. And verse 17, he really says, it's the I am thou art. The great I am is adequate for every need. And then uh, verses, from verses 13 uh, through 17, these are all repeated in a slightly modified form in Psalm 70. When we get to Psalm 70, it'll all sound very familiar to you. Okay, we come to the creme la creme, the, the last psalm of, the, of book one, Psalm 41. And uh, now when we find ourselves in difficulty, we can use this psalm to take inventory of our spiritual condition, and we can find that out by asking four questions. Four questions. First, dealing with our integrity how do we treat others? That's the first of four questions. How do we treat others? You take inventory, gang. Take a piece of paper. You can write your own report card. You don't have to show it to anybody. The second question will have to do with treachery. How do others treat us? Those are questions. Those are spiritual questions. 
Next one's mercy. How does God treat us? And the last one, how do we treat God? Four, four, four directions to look, right? How do we treat others? How others treat us? How does God treat us? How do we treat God? Make sense? Let's take a look at it. To the chief musician of Psalm of David, blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in a time of trouble. We're going to discover that this psalm opens with a blessing and closes with a blessing. We'll discover that book one opens with a blessing. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the council. You remember? Psalm one. And it'll close with a, a doxology, we'll see. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in the time of troubles. If you're taking care of the poor, God will watch out for you when you're in trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. He shall be blessed upon the earth, and thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. That's quite a commitment. The Lord will strengthen him upon a bed of languishing. Thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness. You know, heal him and raise him up is what it means. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. So that's our integrity. It's a question of our integrity. How do we treat others? Do we comply with those four, four verses? Then let's go to the next step and see how they treat us. We'll call this category treachery. How do others treat us? Mine enemies speak evil of me. When shall he die and his name perish? When David was ill, he had people hoping he would die so he would no longer be king. It wasn't just David's welfare. It's the welfare of the nation that was at risk here. And if he come to see me, he speaketh vanity. His heart gathereth iniquity to itself. When he goeth abroad, he telleth it. All that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. We've talked many times, but you can allude your notes here to our little study on the most painful sin on the planet Earth. It's called gossip. That was more pain probably than any other specific sin. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Mm -hmm.